Hello there, woman beings. I'm Emma. I'm here today with the lovely Kellyanne and Kelly. And we also have with us today, Carissa Louie. She's here to chat with us about all sorts of amazing things. Um, but specifically, we're going to dive into uh, the topic of Asian American hate crimes that have been happening recently. We're going to talk about representation in the church. We're going to talk about all that good stuff. We're very excited that she's here in our space, rocking out with us. Let's get started. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Like I said, we're here today with Carissa Louie. She was actually just telling us uh, the meaning of her name. Uh, Louie means thunder. And uh, is that in Mandarin or uh, is it I mean, in, in Chinese. Different... <laughs> it doesn't really matter which language. <laughs> Chinese and Cantonese are just different dialects of the same language. Gotcha. But... Gotcha. Means thunder. Means thunder. And then the caress of Carissa means grace. Mm-hmm. So she is going to bring some gracious, graceful thunder to us today <laughs> as she <laughs> spits out some truth. So I'm very excited for you to be here today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. So I guess we'll just dive right in. <laughs> As we always do. As we always do. So, Carissa, you are a Chinese-American woman. um, And I guess we'll start out with just hearing some of what your experience has been like uh, growing up as a Chinese-American woman in the church, because you're also a woman of faith. Give us the give us the deets. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to think of that because it's really it's like three, three levels of identity. Um, There's the Chinese side of like my my parents come from Hong Kong, China. Um, And so identifying with my Chinese heritage and my Chinese culture and then looking at how that um, integrates with my American self. I was born in America. Um, And so like adding on that layer of you know, I think the the common term is third culture kid because I I'm I'm not totally Chinese and I'm not I don't look like most other Americans and so I'm this interesting third culture um, and then adding on Christian on top of that there's like three layers of identity to dissect in between and and what does it mean to live fully into each of those identities and they're not they're not separate parts but they're all fully who I am yeah. and so um, it's been a little bit of a journey uh, throughout <laughs> my life of, of figuring out what does it mean to be Chinese to be Chinese American to be Chinese American Christian um, and and uh, you know, it's. I think when it comes down to it, it really is embracing all that God has made me to be. And the thing that I have, especially in the last several years, come to realize is God didn't make me this way on accident. It's a. Mm-hmm. It's on purpose. And I am Chinese on purpose. I'm Chinese in America on purpose. And I believe in Him on purpose. <laughs> you know, and and seeing how all those interact um, differently and how that plays out differently uh, in comparison to you know for you guys uh, to you guys for instance. Um, is actually a really beautiful thing. And it's it's a comparison just to see the beauty and not to see, you know, what is different and not great about it, but just to see the diversity of who God is. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was such a beautiful answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, like, chill. Chill. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could just stop yeah. right now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming to the podcast Everybody. today. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so when we were ch- chatting, because um, for our listeners, we always meet and chat with our guests beforehand, and um, it's where everyone gets comfortable with each other, and it's really a good time, but you expressed that some people uh, in your circles continued to use the word China virus to your face. Mm-hmm. And I was actually really shocked um, for those that might not know. Everyone probably knows. Um, the COVID-19 virus has been in some more conservative circles referred to as the China virus, um, which is problematic in and of itself. But like, I was really shocked. And I was wondering if you could like unpack that a little bit for us yeah. of like what that is like to experience that yeah you know I I too was shocked and I think it's it's I mean it's racist at the very bottom of it mm-hmm. and it's it's basically attributing a people group to a virus which is not anything near right or good or true and you know it's true that the that COVID-19 may have started in China and that the first cases were found there and the first outbreak was there but that doesn't mean that Chinese people are a virus and that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you call it by the country it comes from like the Spanish flu actually didn't even come from Spain you know and so like what what is the point of calling that and and in doing that you're antagonizing a whole group of people who Mm -hmm. actually have nothing to do with the virus other than they were victims of it as well. Yeah. And so I think when people say it to my face, they there are some there have been some people who maybe say it lightheartedly and there have been some people who say it because they genuinely think that's the name for it. Mm-hmm. And I think because I mean for me in particular, I'm a darker skinned Chinese person, which isn't as common. And so I think actually being in writing, people forget that I'm Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh it doesn't really matter. Or like I'm a nice person, so I'm not gonna you know, curse is not gonna care. Mm-hmm. Um, but it actually does impact <laughs> me and it actually does hurt, you know, yeah. to to think that because of my skin color, because of who I am and, and my ethnicity um, that I could be a danger because mm. I'm somehow associated to a virus. Yeah, it's really, it's dehumanizing Absolutely. for a whole people group. And it's also devalidating, kind of like you said, like their experience, like mm-hmm. they are having a terrible experience as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pain happening. And to say like, it's on you is like, one, simply not true. Mm-hmm. And then two, just like really unfair and unkind yeah. on so many levels. Yeah. And then even just to think like, I don't know. For myself, I feel so far removed from it because I've been in America almost my entire... I mean, I've lived here my entire life. I've traveled around the world. Um, But to think that someone would pin a virus that started somewhere else on me, Mm. and I'm like thousands of miles away from it. You're like born and raised in the United States. I live in a podunk small town in Northern (laughs) California right now. You know, like, what what did I do to bring the virus to you? I haven't been anywhere in a minute, you know? And so it's just, it's so shocking to see, you know, how people's brains work in that way. Absolutely. Well, and and we've seen, like, the negative effects of that kind of mindset, Mm -hmm. of course, with, Mm -hmm. like, anti-Asian hate crimes happening so frequently, which I think is just shocking and horribly sad, but also maybe in some ways, like, expected or, like, this is part of living in a white dominated culture mm-hmm. um so but I, I noticed or recently the senate passed a bill against asian hate they crime. did mm-hmm. and so I, i'm just curious like how are you like how <laughs> like this this i mean all of this has been happening like the threat is very real radicals are like 
hit it, like hurting people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? It's you know, every day is a little different, um, and I think for me being in Reading, it's been especially hard because it's felt really lonely. Um, I only know a handful of Reading, uh, a handful of Reading's, a handful of Asians in Reading, and of the Asians I know, none of them are actually Chinese. Um, I know, and like of the of the Asians I know, like I only have personal relationship with two of them. Um, and so coming into like this season or this last year of all the anti-Asian hate, it's been hard because I don't have many people to relate to. And especially when it comes to Chinese people, like I have almost no one to talk to in Reading. Um, and so it's lonely um, and it's, it's isolating in a lot of ways. And I think uh, I just become more and more aware of like the ignorance of other people. Um, I was telling Kellyanne on my way up the stairs here that this was a particularly hard week because um, after like a couple weeks of just some momentum of getting some dialogue started in this regard, I actually had a really racist experience this week that was like super painful and it like threw me off for the whole week and I wasn't able to get any other work done. But um, it was just like super shocking because and this was from a coworker friend that I like actually know and have good working relationship with. And he just started asking some questions. And at first I thought, like, one, maybe he's getting to know me. Two, maybe he's joking. But he kept going. And then I was like, oh, actually, this feels really, like, interrogative and mm-hmm. ac- accusatory. Mm-hmm. And it, it basically was a conversation that felt like he was asking if I was a Chinese spy for the government. And seeing if we had, like, if China had sent other spies to Reading to, like, see if we had sent missionaries to China. And I was like, <sighs> what the heck is even I'm happening? Sorry. Other spies? Like, there have <laughs> been multiple. Apparently. Supposedly. Yeah. There's a network. There's, uh, right. I mean. A secret cabal. And, like, in like, all reality, like, China does stuff like this. Like, they do. But so does every other country. So do yeah. we. Everyone, Everyone has, has, has a lot. spies. <laughs> yeah. But um, what on earth would indicate that you are a spy? Yeah. Or, like, yeah. why would they question your integrity in that way? Also, you know? like, you are American. I'm like, American. Yeah. I've Just, known this individual for, you know, a year and a half now. And all of a sudden, this line of questioning came, and I was like, "What is going on?" And at the end of the at the end of the story, um, after like talking it through with some people, I found out he's just trying to get to know me. But I was like, "Oh my gosh, that is not the way to get to know somebody." Yeah. Um, and so, it's just like like I understand his heart, which was like it was genuine and trying to get to know me. But he had just the one hundred percent wrong way of going about it, and that was super painful. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That is. <laughs> That was my week. Pretty appalling. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I know that apologies don't change anything or make it better, but, like, that is gutting to hear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think just very ignorant of the history of Asian Americans and how they've been treated during times of crisis Mm -hmm. in our history. Yeah. Which is very sad to hear. And it is interesting because we live in this kind of bubble mm-hmm. um, in our rural Northern California world. It's not your typical California experience <laughs> at all. Um, so I was curious, like, having you grew up in the Bay Area. I did. And then moved out here to this rural area where Bay Area has an extremely vibrant, thriving Asian community. Mm-hmm. And um, 
moving from there in a more kind of progressive, inclusive society, mm-hmm. w- but a place where maybe racism, when it does exist, is a lot more direct and possibly, hor- I don't know, but then moving out here, like, how has your experience differed in the way that you've interacted with white Americans? Yeah. Well, growing up in the Bay Area, I mean, I was there basically my entire life, except for college and until I moved here. Um, I was always part of majority culture. And so, like, there were always the most Asians everywhere. I went to a school that was, I think, like 70 or 80 percent Asian by the time I graduated. Wow. Um, I went to a Chinese immigrant church growing up. And so everything I knew was around Asian culture. And um, to be honest, I didn't I I knew in theory that other people could love Jesus, but I didn't really believe it because I didn't know anyone (laughs) of any other like race or ethnicity Mm -hmm. that loved Jesus. So Mm -hmm. I was like, it's really only Asian people who are Christian. (laughs) One hundred percent false. But like (laughs) I I learned that very quickly. Um, But like that's the world I grew up in. And I think like the racism that I experienced in the Bay was not so much um, not so much derogatory, but there's what we call the model minority myth of mm. of um, the Asian people are just elevated because uh, people think they're really smart, they're really good at math and science and and all the things, and you know they're doctors, lawyers, engineers, and um, and historically, as Asians immigrated to America, they wanted to blend in as much with white people as possible so that they could be accepted and and part of society. And so, you know, we're hardworking and we contribute well and we didn't want to be, um, I mean, this is our own racism in our past. We didn't want to be associated with, you know, darker skinned people because they were not as good, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we did everything we could to actually erase our Asian culture and become as white as possible. And so I think a lot of that is true in different parts of the Bay Area where we just, we just blend in to be as as white as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's that. There's the model minority. There's um, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 a different form of racism um, mm-hmm. that we both impose on ourselves and that is just expected of us as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, moving to writing has been different in that I actually, um, as I mentioned earlier, I just I don't look entirely Chinese. Um, I am, as far as I know, 100% Chinese. Um, but I think people just know I'm a different race or a different ethnicity, but they don't know what I am. I'm a little ambiguous in the way that I look. And so people just don't know. And also people don't ask, which is quite interesting, because I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of a person is their heritage, their race and their ethnicity. And and not in a derogatory way, but in a like in a way that beautifully tells the story of God in their life. Mm-hmm. And so um, I found it really interesting that ultimately I feel like people up here are just colorblind. Um, they don't see color or they don't notice it. Um, and yeah, it's just been really interesting in that way. So I feel more unseen up here. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Krista, you you mentioned colorblindness mm-hmm. in this, um, and uh, that sort of, I think that's a word that people have thrown around. White people have thrown around, thinking that it's a positive thing mm-hmm. in a way of like, oh, like don't worry, I I don't even I don't see color, mm-hmm. or I don't I don't actually like. Uh, look at you as a person of color and um that can be a really harmful thing to say and Mm -hmm. so I would love to hear you like elaborate on what's harmful about that kind of thinking and like ways that you've sort of seen that manifest itself yeah um 
to you or to other people. Yeah. I think, you know, as Americans, we often think of America as the giant melting pot where everyone's cultures come in and become this one ambiguous culture, which is true to an extent, but actually is not, I think, the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the reality is, like, when someone says they're colorblind, they're actually not seeing a part of who God made them. When we're combining everyone's culture into one thing, then you're actually taking away what mm-hmm. God created. And I think, you know, I said earlier that God made me Chinese-American Christian on purpose. And I think yeah. God made each of us with our races and our ethnicities on purpose. And there's a beauty to our culture and our heritage that only we can bring to the table because of who we are. And if I were to assimilate to, you know, for instance, white culture, then I'm taking away all of the beauty of Asian culture that I carry and saying that that actually is not valid and that is not something that God would want. And that's not true because God actually so values the Asian people and he so values the Chinese people and and the things that we bring to the table like community and family and and honor and, you know, all these kinds of things. And um, and and white culture brings other beautiful things like independence and and structure and things, you know, so many things that you could name. And um, to, to do away and say, I don't see your color is like saying, I don't see what God created you specifically to mm-hmm. be. And, and therefore, you're not looking at, at God's creation and you're not acknowledging the beauty that he's made yeah. and not acknowledging him then because we are made in his image. Mm-hmm. So I think colorblindness, mm-hmm. I think it's there's good intent behind it, but it's actually it's it's a step short of where we should actually be and i think like it it's a helpful step when you're like looking at color as a negative thing for maybe a season to be a little colorblind but you should always actually be stepping into seeing each other for who we are and who yeah. we're created as because that's actually the beauty of of all of us mm. wow yeah. i had never thought about like the term melting pot and like the possible connotations that they that might carry cuz and honestly as i look back in my like white education I like melting pot to me meant people becoming more white mm-hmm. and I never thought of it that way but like that was what that meant to me is like everybody sort of blends together mm-hmm. and embraces the normal mm-hmm. quote mm-hmm. normal culture which in my experience was white culture mm-hmm. yeah which is wow that's incredible. and and I mean the whole just the term colorblind is first of all I, I think that the way that it's said, people are implicit, like implying that color is a bad thing. Because mm-hmm. you're saying like, oh, don't worry, I don't see color. It's like, oh, I don't see that bad thing about you. Mm-hmm. And then it also implies, well, if you're colorblind, what is lack of color? That's that's White. whiteness. Yeah. So it's saying, oh, I'm colorblind. So I just see like the whiteness of you yes. and the ways that you are, like you're saying, assimilating, m- melting into the culture that we have designated for you yeah. mm-hmm. and saying like, this is like, don't worry, I see you as one of me. Mm-hmm. But like, that's Ooh. not how we actually Ooh. can like live together in harmony and like y- y- erasing people's culture Mm -hmm. is not harmonious like Mm -hmm. it's it's control and it's it's forcing people into a mold that Mm -hmm. you've given them yeah and it's it's ultimately comparing them to you instead of comparing them to who god made them to be Mm. 
Yeah. And that's that's where the superiority sets in is is wow. I am the I am the the model that you should be compared to yeah. Yeah. and not God the Father who the God the creator who actually made us. Yeah. yeah. And and God ain't white. I'm just yeah. gonna throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> and this shows up too, like in gender dynamics too. Cause like there's value for women to assimilate to the male culture to like mm-hmm. be one of the guys the more like masculine yeah. you yeah. are the more successful yes the more, yes. Yeah. yes but yep. that's actually like devaluing femininity mm-hmm. for its own that's just another example yeah oh my gosh <laughs> i'm so mind good. blown right now <laughs> i'm like this is good stuff it's so good and like i mean not to like add just a little more but like <laughs> please do to me when you say when we say melting pot in american culture it also to me is like a watering down mm-hmm. and so actually you're not embracing the value that other cultures bring absolutely and i'm like oh like we really don't love making space for people that do things differently and that don't look like us and i'm like actually that's part of what brings us like more strength because there's beautiful things about asian culture and chinese culture that Mm -hmm. americans lack and Mm -hmm. we actually need it and it's like we can't just make assumptions that we have it all figured out because we don't yeah i mean and i think on the on the even the key of of colorblindness like color also is so broad because i think that only speaks to race kind of um but even just like ignoring your ethnicity and where you came from because even though like the three of you are white Mm -hmm. um like you're not just white like there's a story behind each of your ethnicities and like the reality is none of us were like our ancestors weren't born here you know and and like you each have different heritage as i was talking to um a white male friend of mine who was telling me, you know, at this point, I just see myself as white. I have um, Irish and Germanic um, roots, but, you know, I go back to Ireland and Germany and I don't connect with any of that. I just see myself as white. And that to me is actually really sad. And that's a colorblindness to yourself as a white person too, because there's such beauty to to the fullness of who you are. You're not just white. There's a story and a strength that you bring because of who you are and where you come from. Oh, that makes me so sad. I mean, it might be the little bit of Native American I have in me, like, but I always personally, as I've learned more about my heritage, I have a craving to actually be on that land Mm -hmm. and to be like, you know, in Ireland or in Scotland or like connecting with the tribes that like my ancestors Mm -hmm. are from. And so that's interesting to me that people, people don't feel a longing to mm-hmm. be connected. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like the opposite of my experience. Yeah. Like I have such a desire to be like, these are my people. This is the land that I'm originally from. Yeah. And like connecting with that, you know? There's such beauty and importance to that. And I think, I mean, I think for me also, I, I hold such value to that. There's an importance to connecting to where my family came from <laughs> because that is part of the story of God in my life. And by by ignoring that or thinking that that's no longer relevant or important is actually cutting off a part of God in your life too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I'll say just to be vulnerable about my process, like I am guilty of that. Like I don't feel a connection to my white heritage. Mm-hmm. I don't feel a particular desire to know about it really. Like there's so, um, That's something that actually Tanasha brought up in our episode with her that we did, which is a great episode. You should give it a listen. Um, It was like our our first real episode. And um, she brought up a similar idea of like, how do you 
uh, reconnect to your heritage and and how important that is. And um, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot is like, okay, why is there not a desire and how do I cultivate that? And, and what does it look like to really connect in that way? And um, I recently got to uh, visit my home, um, like my not my homeland, I guess, my South Carolina. <laughs> and I, um, and I, we were looking through a bunch of old images of uh, my relatives and stuff and, like, trying to sort of, like, trace, uh, figure out who different people were and things like that. And it didn't even go that far back in our history, but I found myself really, like, enjoying learning about them. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like starting to see a little bit of that that sort of desire to grow, but it's still something that in my process I've, I've not really felt, you know? Yeah. And so I just want to say that to let you guys know. Not <laughs> not everyone is feeling that way necessarily. And I I think that it's sad to because you it is like an erasure of your own culture. Mm-hmm. And we as Americans have, have just sort of been like, oh, we're just Americans now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's part of how America started, too. They wanted to do away Cut with their off. British heritage and just be something brand new. Yeah. And so it's understandable. And I think there's no shame in in you never having had, like, having never had a desire to know where you came from. But at the same time, there's grace for you to learn that mm-hmm. and grace for you to step into it. And so, like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you're also <laughs> learning. And that's yeah. great, too. I think everyone's on a learning process of who they are, where they came from. Like, yeah. I'm still learning, too. There's so much to Chinese history I have no idea about, but I learn a little bit. And yeah. Uh, well, they definitely didn't teach it in your American school. They certainly did not. <laughs> World history was European history. Yes. yes. Oh, <laughs> so oh frustrating. Gosh. Well, and that even brings to mind, too, just thinking about, like, my heritage and the ancestors that I'm aware of that came to the United States mm-hmm. other times was like we were an immigrant family mm-hmm. that came to you know it was 200 years ago or whenever whenever it was I know my the earliest ancestor I'm aware of is William Bradford on the Mayflower oh. and um, but we were immigrants yeah mm-hmm. like we we traveled from somewhere seeking a better life seeking a different mm-hmm. life for our family and so remembering and embracing that story, even though it's different, depending on where you come from and why, Mm -hmm. but that it exists in all of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of like maybe a question out of the blue that I hadn't thought about asking before, but like as someone who has parents who are immigrants Mm -hmm. and who lives here now and like, what has that been like for you um, processing the immigrant experience? Wow. Well, I have a lot of compassion for immigrants and actually a lot of respect because mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we Americans often look down on immigrants because they think they're just, you know, trying to get over the border or like do things illegally or whatever. And like that may be true of a group of people, but actually immigrants by far are some of the most hardworking people, you know, they they have overcome so much to get into another country, to learn another language, to work success- successfully in what is at least their second language, you know, and like that's that's nothing to joke about, you know, and that's nothing to look down on. And, you know, they may be doing like blue collar jobs or whatever, but like they're working hard and they're they're making it in a country that is not their own, in a land that is not familiar, in a in a place that just 
is not home, you know, and um, I have such high respect. And so even looking at my parents who um, my mom immigrated here to go to college um, and she came from a wealthier family. And my dad's family came from a much poorer family and they immigrated when he was in about junior high and like his parents worked I think his mom they both worked i think in a laundromat and my grandpa was a, a cook um when they immigrated here and so like very low like level things and they made a life for the for my dad's family of five kids you know yeah. and like and they survived and they thrived and like you look at each of his siblings today and they're they're making it you know yeah. and so i have i just have the highest respect um and and you know, sometimes I know growing up we would make fun of our parents for like their language barriers and stuff. And it's funny and whatever. But in all reality, like they they work so much harder than I will ever know. Mm-hmm. And so much harder than I will probably ever work because they made such sacrifices for me. And you know, that is that is really like also the Chinese uh, a way of like raising your kids. They, they sacrifice so much so that we could have a good life. Yeah. And, and that's nothing to like forget and nothing mm-hmm. to just like push aside. Um, and so like everything I do, I remember like my parents sacrificed a lot. My grandparents sacrificed a lot. So mm-hmm. I could be sitting here in this room with you guys today. Yeah. Um, and so I have nothing but the highest respect for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Which, um, that ask, leads me to another question. You earlier mentioned that when um, Chinese people were immigrating to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, or Asian uh, people in general, they wanted to separate themselves from mm-hmm. their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to cut themselves off because it was seen as a quote-unquote like not positive thing. Mm-hmm. As a Chinese American woman, what has it looked like to unpack that and reclaim your culture and, um, yeah, own that? What does that look like? Yeah, it's been so interesting. I think I honestly didn't know that until I think I was in or just graduated from college. I was dating a guy out of college and his family had immigrated to the States, I think like four or five generations back. So they've been here for a while. And, um, and I remember it was Chinese New Year, and I was teaching my then boyfriend how to say Happy New Year in Chinese. And his mom pulled me aside, and she was she got mad at me. And we got into this fight, and she was like, why are you trying to change him? Can't you just love him for who he is? And I looked at her so perplexed, and I was like, he's Chinese. You know, like, I don't understand. I'm just teaching him how to say something in Chinese, you know. Yeah. And, and I realized, you know, I went back home, and I processed with my mom, and that's what my mom actually told me, like, back then, or, like, for generations ago, Uh, Chinese people didn't want to identify as Chinese because it was looked down upon. And like, I saw that in real life. Um, And it just made me so sad because they had literally disconnected from their heritage. And I think for me, that made it all the more important to be connected because Mm -hmm. like, we obviously look not white, (laughs) you know, we, we look Asian and there's something beautiful to that. And to just like assume that we have nothing to do with it would be foolish, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I made intentional uh, efforts to try to see like what does it mean to be Chinese and what does yeah. it mean to be Asian and and how does that interact with American culture and white culture and and how can I bring that beauty to the table mm-hmm. um, and so and even educating like my fellow Chinese friends of yeah. like hey you're actually beautiful the way you are and you should bring yourself like that you don't have to act white or act you know X Y Z but just be exactly who you are mm-hmm. so I yeah. love that. Um, for those of you that don't know, 
because you probably don't know because we didn't talk about it yet. But um, Carissa made a really beautiful post about her experience right now. Um, on the Instagram. On the Instagram <laughs> as um, a Chinese American woman navigating these really hard times. Um, yeah. So my question is, one of the things you talked about in your post about AAPI, wanted to get it right, mm-hmm. um, hate was having space at the table. And I would love to know what does space at the table mean to you? Yeah. As a Chinese person, I've realized that one of the things I value is being invited to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think culturally, Chinese people um, will often wait to be asked before answering a question. Mm-hmm. They will they will wait for permission before doing something, mm-hmm. or they will ask for permission. We don't often invite ourselves into a room or at, at uh, to a table, and I think that's that's very opposite, at least to white culture that I've noticed. Is the beauty of white culture is like I know what I want and I'm gonna go get it. Mm-hmm. And there's some this like independent go getter spirit that I actually love and have such high respect for that is just not ingrained in me. And when I do it, it feels so, so hard because it's mm-hmm. it's just not my culture. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And what I realize is like, when, I, when I'm when i saying I want a seat at the table, it's, it's I'd love to be invited. And it's not because I can't invite myself, but that's actually culturally how our, our brains, our, mm-hmm. our selves are formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I realize is Chinese people, Asian people often have a lot to say, um, but we're waiting for the permission to say it. And I was I was recently talking to an African-American friend just about the whole race conversation and the journey that I've been on as an Asian-American woman. And um, she was like, you know, we as black people have we're very loud. And I was like, I love that about you. And she was like, what that has done for you is actually pave the way so that you can come to the table and not have to shout and you can just talk. Mm -hmm. And that actually is so helpful because as a Chinese American woman, I'm not gonna yell at you. I'm not gonna say like, give me a space at the table. But like now because because of the work that our African American brothers and sisters have done, I can come to the table and I can just talk. And so like I also just have such high respect for for the black community because they've mm. they've done a lot of hard work that enables us other people of color to come to the table as well mm. and so like being being at the table means there's an invitation um, but it also means like I'm not just sitting at the table but there's there's space to speak mm. and um, what I found is oftentimes when I'm around different groups of people um, people will talk without taking a breath which I feel like I'm doing a little bit right now. (laughs) It's a podcast life. It's a podcast. Um, But it often makes it hard for for me to feel like I'm comfortable to interject, Mm -hmm. unless I'm around like a really close group of friends, but you know, in a meeting or something. And like one example is um, we had a team meeting once at work and the director of our team, uh, we were gonna talk about some vulnerable things. So he started by saying, what are a couple things that you need in order to feel safe to answer and that you're able to participate? People went around the room and when it was my turn to share, I said, I just need space. I need like a little, maybe awkward space, a little silence, so I know no one else is about to talk, and then I will speak. Mm-hmm. And like, because Asian culture, we have such high value for like honor and, and each other that we don't want to speak over you. We don't want to talk over you. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to go in turn. And so um, he was like, that's great, that's great, that's great. And so... Um, <laughs> We get moving, and then he asks the the vulnerable question, which honestly, I can't even remember what it was. And he asks the question, and he's like, okay, 
I'm giving space. I'm making space. I'm creating space. There's space. We're making space. We have space. <laughs> I'm okay with the awkward silence. We're making space. And I just sat there thinking, and I was like, you're not actually making space. <laughs> you're just talking to yourself out loud in front of the whole team. And it was just, like, comical to me. And I yeah. was like, all right, he tried. Oh, he God. didn't get it, but he tried. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until later um, another leader in the group was like, okay, Carissa hasn't spoken yet. Let's pause and give her a space. Aww. And, like, that was actually really helpful. And then I had something to contribute and to share. Mm. And and because there's, like, no pause in the conversation, people just go back and forth so fast. And and I find that very true at the place I work because people like people are beautiful. They have so many ideas and so many things to say. And oftentimes I'm just like, I don't know. you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's giving space. It's a little time just to pause and just say, OK, like there is space. There is time for you to speak. No one else is going to speak. It's your turn. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a the beauty of order in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I see like like so much respect from that like I honor you so much that I will wait until you have had your peace before I will speak my peace mm-hmm. you know which I love how you bring up like different cultures ways of navigating that where it's like white people just have to insert themselves and say what they want maybe and the African-American community is louder and has really paved the way which mm-hmm. is incredible what they've done mm-hmm. actually um, but there's also a space for like waiting mm-hmm. and like respecting and allowing others to to go ahead. Um, and so yeah, it's just again one of the things that we need rather than melding all together so we're all the same is like understanding different ways of. Anyways, mm-hmm. I can yeah. just go on. But I mean, and I part of that. that part of that white privilege and the the sort of like that idea of colorblindness is all, and all of that is also assuming that everybody is going to operate in the same way as mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that I've been guilty of that, of just assuming that everybody else is thinking about things in the same way that I am, mm-hmm. that they are understanding things in the same way that I am, and that they are like, we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. But that's not recognizing the difference of culture, of upbringing, of just your entire experience and mm-hmm. how you're coming to the table with a different set of expectations, with mm-hmm. a different set of sort of rules and ways that you operate by. Um, and so I know that, like like you said, like in, in white culture, it's very like, just assert yourself and you're just going to go forward. And I even think about, for example, like in, in, in the whole uh, concept of like of women's rights and of equality, like I feel like white women have so often been like well we're just gonna like be the like boss lady and we're gonna come forward and like we're gonna assert ourselves in the workplace and we're gonna do these things and like and we've had and, to in a lot yeah, of ways, yeah and yeah and the, the thing is is that also like the feminist movement has left women of color behind yes. in so many yeah. ways and part of that is because of just a, a lack of desire to understand where mm-hmm. other women are coming from mm-hmm. and the way that other women's experiences look and the way that they can also contribute to a movement you know and um and then some of it is also intentional like leaving out and erasure and not a desire to lift those other women up Mm -hmm. and so like there's so much where we uh when we operate as if our culture is the culture it's like we have blinders on Mm -hmm. and we totally are not seeing 
um, all the beauty that is in all these people that are around us. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting here trying to be like a melting pot and just blend everything together. And really, we should be like a tossed salad or like a stir fry or something. (laughs) Actually, yes. Like we need to be all these pieces that are separate, but they work together and they make something really tasty and Mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so that's be a really good salad. I really want stir fry now. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm hungry. You're welcome. I'm like, oh, with some teriyaki sauce. Yes. Well, I've heard the phrase before, silence is agreement. Mm. Which for someone from my upbringing, I'm like, yes, silence. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna be brave enough to speak up, then you've just agreed, you know, like, yeah. and you have to deal with that or whatever. But actually, it's more about when you are someone who's vocal, taking or or someone who is in a superior. Not you're superior, in power. Yeah, you, you have privilege. To, yes, when you have, when someone in a position of privilege, it's your responsibility actually to to turn to other people and ask questions, Mm -hmm. to turn to the people who haven't spoken and say, what do you think? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. It is, it is the responsibility of the majority culture to make space for the minority culture, whatever that space may mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of people feel like that's like a scary thing or like that's a difficult thing. And I think sometimes I've seen white people who feel like they're going to do the wrong thing, so they do Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. And then I've also seen white people who feel afraid that that's going to mean they lose something Mm -hmm. when actually you gain so much Mm -hmm. from from bringing in people. Like, there there is room at the table. Mm -hmm. You are not going to be bumped down. In fact, you're going to be bringing other people up. Mm -hmm. And there's not a... There's not, like, a scarcity of of power of privilege of of being elevated or whatever like there is no scarcity you you actually will create a better community a better culture a better country by lifting people up by bringing them into the fold Mm -hmm. and actually acknowledging them for all that they are yeah yeah that raises everyone up yeah. yeah yeah i see a lot of fear i think in the white community of like equal opportunity policies and things like that that are coming into our legislation um, for that very reason, like, but I work hard, and if we make stuff like this, then I'm gonna lose my spot. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, for me, as I look at it from a holistic perspective, it's like it's actually more important for our country's well being and our children's well being mm-hmm. and the well being of like our whole nation, mm-hmm. nation's morality, and mm-hmm. all of it, yeah, that we intentionally make space that we allow other cultures to come in and and have room in their careers in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. media representation etc yeah then it is valuable that you know the quote hardest working people get get the positions or whatever and i think that's i mean it's ignorant in and of self to say like, oh well, the 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 most qualified person or the hardest working person <laughs> should get it, and because really, usually what that means is the the most white or the most male person yeah. <laughs> should get the job. Um, yeah. And, without really understanding the the value of kind of that diverse background and perspective. Yeah. And I mean, and it's also the, it's the difference between like equality and equity, right? Like mm. if somebody is starting at a at a at a disadvantage then why wouldn't you give them a step stool to help them up to 
the the tree that you're reaching towards you know like that is not that is putting you into an equal position even if you're already tall enough to reach the tree yeah like it that person needs a step stool and they're going to reach the same exact tree that you're reaching and there's enough fruit for you to pull from Mm -hmm. you know and i mean also uh i think about uh i think in the book half the sky uh, which is about women, <laughs> which we love talking about women here on the Woman Being podcast. But it's intersectionality. Um, so it is. You know. mm-hmm. um, it, it talks about how uh, nations that have more equality for women are proven to be more economically prosperous mm-hmm. and proven to to do better, like just objectively um, as a nation when women are lifted up and given uh, equal opportunity and, and equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I I am sure that that translates into race as well because like if you're if you are allowing more of your citizens to prosper you are going to prosper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's it's kind of like a it's it's a silly thing to not want Mm -hmm. you know I think this is also for me one of the most beautiful things about Chinese culture and Asian culture as a whole is we are a very communal culture and everything is about we and the family and um, and we never look like I never look at how I'm doing I look at how we're doing mm-hmm. and um, and for me like this is for the reason it's the most beautiful is because I think it's also the most kingdom and like that's how the kingdom of God is it's never about I mean, it is about saving the one person, but it's it's about, like, how are we doing? It is about God's family. Yeah. We are all his children. It is not just, like, it's not me, myself, and I, but it's us as a family. And so I think, like, exactly what you're saying, that, like, when one person is lifted up, then we're all lifted. I mean, when we're all lifted up, when the lowest person is lifted up to where we all are, yeah. then we're all lifted up. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kingdom to think of to think of the whole family, to think of all of us together and not just me and how do I survive and how do I keep my position, but how do I support the bigger vision of what God's doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is one of the most beautiful things about the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, so Carissa, final question for you um, is just, you grew up in a Chinese immigrant church. Mm-hmm. And you are now very much a part of a white, evangelical, charismatic movement. Mm -hmm. Um, Charismatic, but still very much evangelical. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think the church's role is in promoting diversity, empowering Asian Americans, empowering people of color? And, like, what are our next steps? Like, what do we need to do? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Those are some big questions. Yeah. Um, let's start with the easier side. Um, I think the beauty, the thing that I loved about growing up in a Chinese immigrant church was that it really steeped me in Chinese culture. And so I think for me, it helped me feel like Chinese culture was not far away. Um, it was it was part of my life in every aspect. It was at home. It was at churches with my friends. It was in the food we ate. It was in the things that we did, the ways that we even tried to decide what to eat to, for lunch, which would take 30 minutes because we have to make sure everyone agrees. Um, <laughs> and one of the, I mean, I think one of the hallmark things is like, we as an immigrant church, so we had an English-speaking congregation, a Mandarin-speaking, and a Cantonese-speaking. And what was really beautiful is, like, each congregation had their own individual services, but a couple times a year we'd bring them all together to do combined services. And there's just such beauty in hearing all the languages in the room together. And so we would, like, translate, you know, from English to Cantonese or Mandarin or, you know, Cantonese or Mandarin into English or what, because we always had English because... There are some of us who can't speak any Chinese. Um, I can't speak some. But um, 
there's something beautiful to that. And then just having worship in multiple languages was mm. really beautiful. And like mm. learning songs written in my mother tongue um, mm. is just something that you can't even like it's not a translated english song but it's a it's song written in cantonese a song written in mandarin and then sung and there's something about like your heart language that just connects to that um and i think there's such beauty in that and so i grew up just with like that chinese the diverse chinese culture um i moved into college where um i i went to school in the central coast of california which was predominantly white and um and that's when i started learning about the diversity of the kingdom and different people and started to get a real value for um for diversity in the church actually and how important it was to to honor who different people were and their colors and stuff and um one of the things i remember learning was that like um, and that I remembered but was finally able to articulate was there's beauty in being able to sing in your own language because you'll connect to it differently. And so like um, the Christian fellowship that I was in in college is called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And they have a huge value for, for racial diversity and racial reconciliation. And, um, and one of the things they teach is that like um, it's important to sing in different languages because you never know who in the room will actually like that will speak so much more to them. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, we may all have English as a common language, but when you bring up the song in Spanish, that actually triggers something different in someone who was born speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's beauty in that. And so like looking at the church that I'm at today, which is a, a large mega church um, that is predominantly white with some other, you know, people of color in there as well. Um, we are predominantly white culture. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we don't represent other cultures well. And, like, mm-hmm. I think what, what this church tries to do is they put people of color on stage sometimes. Um, but it really just is, it's almost like a, a virtue signaling or just, like, here's my token color person. Um, but it's not actually embracing the culture mm-hmm. of that person. And I know that, like, a couple years ago we started doing gospel nights and gospel celebrations, which is great for the black community. Um, but that's just scratching the surface. And so I think as far as like, what do we do next? Where does at least our church in particular go next? I think it starts with dialogue. Um, part of me, you know, May is coming up and, um, and we're basically in May and it's AAPI Heritage Month, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And um, at first I was like, we should definitely say something as a, as a house to acknowledge Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders because this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And as I sat down and thought about what would I say, I was like, actually, we can't say anything. Um, and not because we don't want to honor our Asian American Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, but because we actually haven't had conversations behind closed doors or just behind any doors um, to to actually have something of, mm-hmm. of value and worth and and something integrous to say wow. that is actually true. And so I actually like recommended to our team, let's not say anything about AAPI because we haven't actually earned that right yet. Yeah. We have to have the conversation before you can say something publicly. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And so like my challenge to leadership has been, hey, let's have conversations, let's start dialogues. And I would love, I mean, like, I would love for something to be said on stage or on a public platform. But at the end of the day, that means nothing if we're not having real life-changing dialogue first. And so I think that is the first step is to have dialogue. Yeah, I mean, you can't reap a crop that you haven't sown. Exactly, yeah. Wow, And but I love the challenge in that is like, hey, like, it's our responsibility to be cultivating this. Mm on a regular basis mm-hmm. not just that one month of the year the one that month. <laughs> right and to look good or make people feel good or whatever it's like actually like 
like we're gonna like do the work Mm -hmm. we need to do the work and then we can bring it to the larger stage to our large platform Mm -hmm. and then it's it's authentic it's real you've done the work and then god can move through that yeah yeah Yeah. and i mean i think too like some people might feel the inclination to like have a a post or a public statement about like Mm -hmm. api month or african-american history month or women's month or whatever it is and um i think that not putting anything out about it uh feels like a risk because you can receive flack for that Mm -hmm. um but at the same time if you're posting or talking about it and you don't have that backing Mm -hmm. you're not going to do it well Mm -hmm. and you're going to receive flack for that as well like the real issue here is that there's been that neglect Mm -hmm. of not actually Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. these things and actually like caring Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and really genuinely like I said like sewing into it that's the only way that you can move forward to then use your public platform right for good right I mean even thinking about all the violence that's happened to the black community in not even the last week and the last year but you know like even just taking that little snippet of time like there's only so much a church can say on a public platform to say we don't condone violence um to be like even trying to be neutral which we're not Mm. um like there's actually not much we can say because we haven't been having those conversations. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, of course we believe that violence isn't good and that, you know, this death shouldn't have happened and this murder shouldn't have happened. But like, we actually have no ground to stand on because we haven't been doing the work. And so it's painful at times to, to get responses from people um, to say like, why won't you address this death? And why won't you address this murder? And like this terrible thing that happened to, you know, the, this, this community of color and like, you know, the reality is, I think personally, I'm like, yeah, we should totally say something. But at the same time, we haven't we haven't earned the right. Yeah. You know, we haven't done the work. We have nothing to say except some empty statement to say we're sorry that this happened. But that, that doesn't hold any weight, actually. Mm-hmm. It'll, like, make some people feel better, but only mm-hmm. for a second because we haven't actually yep. done anything they care. Yep. Yeah. Well, and at the yeah. end of the day, wouldn't we rather be a people who do the work unseen mm-hmm. than that don't do the work and pretend mm-hmm. yeah that we and are. i mean honestly like a lot of churches are playing catch up of uh, what they should have been doing already oh you yeah. Know? yeah yeah which is beautiful really because i feel like the church is kind of taking i mean it's not beautiful it's taking so much time but i feel like the church is slowly turning its ship towards more just justice mm-hmm. in general which is really the heart of Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's not about our fancy cathedrals and our cool worship and all the things. It's actually, like, how are we serving and loving people that are struggling and don't look like us? Yeah. And I feel that it's it's a slow process. (laughs) It has been so slow, but it feels like the church is hopefully moving in a direction that is more like Jesus's ministry in the yeah. first place. Yeah. The phrase that has been on my mind for the last month or so is that reconciliation is the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. And and I firmly believe that. And yeah, in this season I'm saying it in terms of racial reconciliation, but that's true in all different in different areas and even Emma as you were talking earlier about like um, like women's rights and stuff like that. Like actually any area of social justice that you look at, um, we've we've erred in that we've only looked at the, the title piece. Mm-hmm. Like we've only looked at the women or we've only looked at LGBTQ or we've 
only looked at race, um, but actually they all intersect in different ways. And it's so complex and it's so nuanced and there's so many different parts to it. And at the end of the day, it's about reconciliation. It's about bringing people back into right relationship with each other and with God. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I firmly and truly do believe that reconciliation is the goodness and the, and the heart of the Father. Mm. That's so good, Chris. Amen that. to that. <laughs> uh, That's a quote. Are, you are. You speak like you were made for this. Oh so. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so excited that you came to talk to us today. Um, I wanted to ask you one final question mm-hmm. before we go into resources, and then finally let you go <laughs> out of our hot, sweaty studio. <laughs> um, is what does the phrase woman being mean to you as a Chinese American, as a woman, as um, a Christian? Yeah. I, you know, when I think of that, it's basically some of what I talked about earlier, but it's ultimately the Imago Day. You know, we are all created in the image of God, and I am created in the image of God as a woman, as a Chinese American, as a Christian, and I am I reflect a part of God, as do the three of you. You each individually reflect a different part. And so when I think about woman being, I think about um, we are a piece of who God is, and we are a reflection of that that we get to show the world and to those around us. So good. Amazing. <laughs> just another Carissa Nugget. <laughs> I just, like, copyright that. Carissa Nugget. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Speaking of nuggets, I'm sure that the people, what they want is to, one, know where they can gain all some of the knowledge that you have just spilled out for us here and know what kind of resources you would recommend. And then also how the people could find you <laughs> if they wanted to follow you, get to know you, if they're like, this girl's amazing, oh, wow. what, what, what do they do? <laughs> well, um, let's start with resources. One of my all-time favorite books right now is called Beyond Colorblind. It's by an author named Sarah Shin. She's a Korean-American woman. And she talks, I mean, we talked about colorblindness today, but it basically talks about looking beyond that and and redeeming our ethnic heritages and our stories. And um, it's just such a beautiful book of, of dissecting who you are and then realizing that as you as you get your own ethnic healing, then you can go out and bring healing to others. So it's it's a beautiful book. I recommend it to everyone. Um, another book that I really love is called Prophetic Lament by Sung Chan Ra, who's another Korean uh, guy, and he's a professor in the Chicago area. Um, but Prophetic Lament, I think it's so beautiful. This is something that I started learning about a couple years ago. Um, something that the American church does not do super well is sit in pain and grieve mm-hmm. and mourn and it's actually a really important part of the gospel to to learn how to lament and sit in the pain because you know the reality is like there would be no resurrection if there was no death and there was a saturday in between where we just sat in the in the grieving of that yeah. and so i mean i think it's really important i think it's something that um I, as a Chinese person, am learning, but more it's me as an American I'm learning because it's not part of American culture to sit in the pain, but to learn to be okay with it and then also learn that you have to sit in it in order to get your healing. And so Prophetic Lament, amazing. Um, Another great one is Wide Awake by Daniel Hill. And I think you guys have mentioned that you've heard that one before. Um, But it's great also about like dissecting your own white identity and and learning your own story and, Mm -hmm. and that your own value in that. Um, another book I love is called Raise Your Voice by Kathy Kang. It's another, I think she's a Korean American woman. Apparently, I like it's Korean authors. And this one is about um, learning how to use your voice. 
um, and and through different cultures and different ways and just not being silent but learning how to use it at the right time in the right season in the right ways um, and the last book that I have oh two more the last book is true or one book is true story by James Chong which is actually um, it's kind of a like a fiction ish but it's actually taking you along a journey of um, two people who are trying to figure out what gospel is about and um, and dissecting like the world was created for good, but the world is not good. Um, but Jesus came to save us. And um, as we receive the healing from God, then we are sent out to heal others. Mm-hmm. And it takes these in this beautiful like gospel story, essentially. And I think a lot of it has to do also with race of like as we receive that healing, we can then be sent out to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one that I really love doesn't really have anything to do with race, but is one of my favorites. It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. And she's not a Korean American woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, is really uh, looking like deep into your soul of like um, how do you how do you become a leader and it actually dissects the life of Moses and his own leadership growth and just like the culmination of what God has done in his life so those are those are books that I love um, just to go with um, the first book that I mentioned Beyond Colorblind Sarah Shin is a theologian um, and her husband Shin Meng is um, is actually an artist and they do a lot of partnerships in their creativity and so um he does like artwork and then she'll write poetry to go with the artwork. Oh, so um, cool. It's really beautiful. If you want to look them up, um, his Instagram handle is Shin Happens and hers is Sarah Shin Author. Um, but they're both amazing. Those are people I love. So, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And then how oh, can the people find yes. you? To find me, I mean, honestly, when I post on social, it is food or family. So <laughs> <laughs> Lots of good food. I'm yeah. um, hungry after You looking. can see what I'm doing when by going to um, at Carissa Louie. You can see what I'm eating by going to at Carissa Eats. Mm-hmm. Um, and once in a while on my at Carissa Louie, I'll post something of extra substance. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you can go follow her just to check out her amazing posts. Just yeah. extremely yeah. vulnerable really and good. kind and super important posts about like how you've been experiencing these last couple months. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, would highly recommend checking that yeah. out. Yeah, and we'll have all of this information in the show notes for you guys to look at, to link to all the books and all the resources. So... Uh, it'll be easy peasy to find them and to also find Carissa. Mm-hmm. <sighs> On that note, thank you so much, Carissa, for joining us, for talking with us, for being willing to be vulnerable and, and to open up. And we honestly just feel so honored to to get to speak to you about this and to, to share space with you. We think that these things are really important. And so uh, thank you as well, woman beings, for listening, for joining us in this conversation about uh AAPI hate about the the complexities of what it looks like to be an Asian American um, and everything that comes along with it. Uh, Be sure to recommend this episode to someone who you think needs to hear it. Um, And uh, you can also let us know what you think about it by following us on Instagram at Woman Being Podcast and dropping some comments, dropping some DMs. Feel free to slide into ours. (laughs) And then uh, you can also follow along with us um, at womanbeingcommunity.com and also rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere that you can listen to a podcast, we're there. Uh, And that's all for today. So we'll catch you guys next week. Bye. 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 Bye.